Welcome to NTD Evening News. Our top story tonight, Israel is now allowing daily supply of fuel to enter the Gaza Strip. The territory is experiencing severe fuel, water and power outages with no telecommunications operational. Find out why Israel is allowing the fuel now. Charges pressed against the man accused of striking and killing a Jewish protester in California. The suspect now faces two felony counts. Capitol Police footage from January 6th is now available for public view. Also, will Republican Congressman George Santos be booted from the People's House? A third vote to expel him will soon hit the House floor. Melina Weisskopf standing by. President Biden talking fentanyl and illegal immigration with the Mexican president. Iris Tao has more on what the two leaders are vowing to do. The special counsel in the Hunter Biden tax probe is changing venues. Arlene Richards reports why he's moving his case to California. While a different special counsel is wrapping up a probe of Hunter's father. Three GOP candidates in Iowa today. They're on stage together discussing pressing issues. Marianne Pazdar tells us how the event is skirting the RNC's debate rules. This is NTD Evening News. Live from our NTD Global Headquarters in New York City. Good Here evening is and thank Meyer. you for joining us tonight. Israel is allowing a limited amount of fuel to enter the Gaza Strip on a daily basis for the first time since the war began. Here are the latest updates on the Israel-Hamas war. Israel's war cabinet on Friday agreed to allow two tanker trucks of fuel to enter the Gaza Strip each day. This came after a special request from the Biden administration. Israel previously said it wouldn't allow fuel as long as Hamas keeps the 200-some hostages it took after killing 1,200 people in the October 7th terror attack. The fuel is now allowed for Gaza's communications system as well as water and sewage services. The decision was intended to prevent the spread of disease. We don't want diseases that could harm the civilians who are there and our forces. If there are diseases, the fighting would be halted. We cannot continue fighting in the event of a humanitarian crisis or an international outcry. Roughly 16,000 gallons of fuel can enter each day from the Rafah crossing with Egypt. The first deliveries are expected Saturday. Israel seems less concerned than before that it could end up at the hands of Hamas. That's perhaps 2 to 3 percent of the fuel that used to enter Gaza, maybe 4 percent that used to enter every day to run the systems of communications, electricity, water and sewage. The majority of the fuel will be reserved for the UN to carry humanitarian aid as well as water desalinization, well and sewage pumping, solid waste disposal, bakeries and hospitals. The rest will be for Gaza's telecoms provider. The Gaza Strip has been cut off from the outside world since its telecommunications network collapsed on Thursday due to a lack of power. The United Nations was forced to stop deliveries of food and other necessities to Gaza on Friday. 
We don't have uh, the most updated information on the overall situation in Gaza because of the telecommunications network. You see, when this happens, we are completely disconnected from our staff in the Gaza Strip. And it's not just fuel that Gaza lacks. Local residents say all life has come to a stop with rubbish overflowing in the streets, long lines for food, and people making fire to cook. All ways of life have stopped. There's no internet, no communications, no mobile phones, no messages. We can't charge our phones, no electricity, no drinking water, no money. All of this was cut off with the war. The Israeli military is intensifying its operation at Al-Shifa Hospital in Gaza City. Troops are searching for traces of Hamas, as well as information about the hostages held by the terrorists. We continue to deepen the operational activity at the Shifa hospital to locate underground infrastructure. Today we located more underground infrastructure and collect every bit of information about the kidnappings and the abductees. More signs indicate that Israel may plan to expand its ground offensive to the southern part of Gaza. We are determined to advance our operation. It will happen wherever Hamas exists, including in the south of the Strip. It will happen at the time, place and conditions that are the best for the military. As the war continues, the U.S. and allied troops in Iraq and Syria are also bracing for more drone attacks from terrorist groups. Three drone strikes hit U.S. military bases on Friday. One soldier suffered minor injuries. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. California authorities now pressing felony charges against a man accused of striking and killing a Jewish protester. The suspect, a pro-Palestine protester, was taken into custody yesterday morning. We have charged the defendant, Lo'ai Al-Naji, with two felony counts. The first of which, involuntary manslaughter, a felony. The second count, battery causing serious bodily injury, also a felony. Authorities said Friday morning they reviewed 600 pieces of evidence in the death of Paul Kessler. The district attorney says investigators had to piece together video footage and conflicting statements from witnesses. He added that investigators determined there was no intent to kill, but are still looking into whether or not it was a hate crime. Unprecedented access to Capitol Police footage from January 6th. House Speaker Mike Johnson just announced more than 40,000 hours of footage is now available to the public. NTD's Melina Weisskopf is bringing us more details from the Capitol. Melina, is there any information out just yet about where to watch this footage? Yeah, Tiff, as a matter of fact, there is. So right now, people can watch this footage in one of two places. They can either view it today on the House Administration Committee's website, or they can schedule an in-person viewing at the committee's office here in Washington, D.C., though if they choose the in-person approach, they will have to wait until Monday to see that footage. Now, as for the clips that are released either to the media or to the folks that request it, faces will be blurred from that. But it is still notable because this is the first time that people will have such wide access to United States Capitol Police 
police footage from January 6th. And it's clear that the new speaker, Mike Johnson, is eager to get that message out there. He posted the link to the House administration's website where people can view that footage on his Twitter when he announced the release of this footage. He also said the goal here is to provide transparency and to restore trust in Congress by the American people. Now, at this point in time, um, we do know that this comes at a notable time because the Supreme Court has set a December 1st time for a conference to decide whether or not they will accept appeals from two January 6th cases. If they do accept those appeals, it will be the first time that the Supreme Court is considering January 6th related cases. Tiff. And Melina, let's switch gears and talk about another pressing issue on Capitol Hill. That is the question, will Republican Congressman George Santos be booted from his seat? The latest development here is that the Republican chairman, who is a notable figure, has moved to expel Santos. Give us some insight into how lawmakers are reacting and how this might turn out. Well, remember, this is the third such attempt that is actually facing that George Santos is facing to have him ousted from Congress. The first two attempts failed because there were several lawmakers who protected him on the grounds that they wanted to see due process played out play out. But as of right now, it's looking like folks are changing their minds. We know of at least a dozen or more lawmakers who weren't ready before, but now they say they're ready to see George Santos leave Congress. Watch this. Anderson, I didn't vote for his expulsion the first time uh, that we had a vote. Uh, I changed my opinion after this. I think when we come back, you'll see that motion to expel. Uh, I think you will see uh, more and more members voting for that, and it'll be a, maybe a close vote. But I, I think he will be expelled if he doesn't resign. I hope he resigns before we get to that point. Uh, I am confident that uh, a majority of the conference is going to come together uh, after reading, if not yesterday, then today, uh, the ethics report and uh, send George Santos on his way. Now, Tiff, for this to be successful, there does need to be a two-thirds vote in the House to actually kick him out, which means that if all Democrats are voting for it, a little over 70 Republicans would need to join in with that effort, and that's actually likely a possibility. We know that Republican leadership has left the door open, just encouraging lawmakers to vote however they say, see fit on this issue. Now, how for how, now, as for how George Santos is responding to all of this, he's trying to brush it off as an example of dirty politics going on in Congress. He says he's going to be holding a press conference here at the Capitol once lawmakers do return at the end of this month. As for what he'll say at that press conference, we're keeping an eye out because that will be interesting. If the numbers are against him at that point and it's clear, will he go ahead and resign to just avoid the embarrassment of being kicked out? He said that he'll continue his term, but the question is, will that change under this growing pressure? Tiff? Molina, thank you for those updates. President Biden meeting with the Mexican president to close out the APEC summit. That's as a growing illegal immigrant crisis is forcing New York City to cut funding for police. Entity's White House correspondent Iris Tao has more from the APEC summit in San Francisco. Wrapping up his week at the APEC summit, President Biden had a face-to-face -face meeting with Mexican President Lopez Obrador, the two vowing to work together to counter the flow of fentanyl into the U.S. and counter illegal immigration. We're working side by side to combat arms trafficking, to combat uh, tackle organized crime, and to address the opioid epidemic and including fentanyl. Nearly all chemicals needed to make fentanyl come from China. The drugs are then mass-produced in Mexico and then trafficked into the United States. And President Lopez Obrador says he's aware of the damage that fentanyl is doing to American youth. In the last year alone, more than 100,000 Americans died of drug overdoses, with a majority 
many of them attributed to fentanyl. And all this is as the rest of illegal immigrants on the southern border rose to nearly 220,000 in just September. That's putting massive pressure on major U.S. cities like New York City, where Mayor Eric Adams this week announced that he's slashing funding for schools, libraries and the police because dealing with illegal immigrants in New York City is just costing the city way too much. President Biden, meanwhile, stresses that administration is going to take a balanced approach to immigration. So it includes enforcing our borders, increasing reparations and opening historic number of legal pathways for migrants. The Biden administration is expected to strengthen its public messaging when it comes to the border. That's especially as polling continues to show that a majority of Americans disapprove of Biden's handling of the border situation. Back to you. Hunter Biden is being investigated by a California grand jury. Special counsel David Weiss is now using a second grand jury to continue his investigation into the younger Biden's tax affairs. NTD legal correspondent Arlene Richards has the latest. My name is David Weiss. Special counsel David Weiss now moving his investigation of Hunter Biden to California after voluntarily dismissing the tax charges filed in a Delaware court. In an August filing in Delaware, Weiss told a federal judge that he wanted to bring tax charges in a district where venue lies, which he says is in the Central District of California or in the District of Columbia. A plea deal that was supposed to resolve the tax charges fell apart earlier this year. Under the deal, the younger Biden agreed to plead guilty to two misdemeanor charges for failing to pay at least $100,000 on more than $1.5 million in earned income in both 2017 and 2018, an income that came from Ukrainian company Burisma. The Republican-controlled House Oversight Committee is gathering information on possible money laundering and foreign lobbying allegations in connection to the Burisma job which could lead to impeachment proceedings against President Biden. The committee believes Hunter used his father's brand to extort millions of dollars. Chair of the committee, James Comer, recently said he's eyeing another potential witness. Our latest uh, request is to speak with Kevin Morris. He's an attorney uh, who apparently is the person who loaned the money to Hunter Biden to, uh, to pay off his $2 million tax bill. He said the tax bill was more like $4 million. Spokespersons for Weiss and Hunter are not commenting on the change of venue. Hunter has pleaded not guilty to all charges. Over in Washington, a different special counsel wraps up his investigation into President Biden's mishandling of classified documents. But special counsel Robert Hur is not expected to charge anyone, although he is preparing a lengthy report that will likely criticize the president. Arlene Richards, NTD News. In New York, former President Trump's request for a mistrial has been denied in his $250 million civil fraud case. Manhattan's Supreme Court Judge Arthur N. Goron said the arguments were, quote, utterly without merit. Attorneys for Trump, two of his sons and their company, argued the case had been tainted by the judge's and his law clerk's political bias. In a Friday ruling, Angoron disputed the allegation of bias and maintained that he would preside over the trial until its conclusion. Angoron previously ruled that the defendants inflated the value of the Trump family assets to defraud banks and insurance companies and receive better loan terms and other financial perks. Attorney General Letitia James, who filed the case, is seeking $250 million in damages. Over in Fulton County, 
Georgia DA Fannie Willis is now asking for an August 5th, 2024 trial date in the sprawling RICO case against Trump and several defendants. The new date comes two weeks before the absentee ballot request window opens for Georgia voters. Willis says the August date takes into consideration Trump's criminal cases in D.C. and Florida, which are scheduled for March and May of next year. She also says he'll consider negotiated pleaded, guilty pleaded deals until June 21, 2024. Three GOP presidential candidates today convening in Iowa. Timing is crucial here, less than two months before the Iowa caucuses. NTD's Arian Pazdar brings you more on the situation in the Hawkeye state. Should Iowa be the kickoff state? This yes. is a pretty biased audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, what do you think, Ron? Yeah, I absolutely. So. <laughs> yeah, no, they, I, think I think what so. I've seen is I've seen decency. I've seen faith in God. Iowa gets it's about faith, family, and country. Mm. And it's a great start to a presidential process when that is front of mind for everyone. Presidential candidates Vivek Ramaswamy, Ron DeSantis, and Nikki Haley meeting in Iowa on Friday. This as the state is getting ready to hold its Republican caucuses in January. Former President Trump was invited as well, but declined. The event is being organized by a religious organization called Family Leader. Every Republican candidate the organization endorsed since 2008 ended up winning the Iowa caucuses. The organization's CEO will most likely not endorse Trump, as he and the former president haven't been getting along for years now. However, this might not affect Trump too much. He's still the favorite candidate among Republican Iowa caucus members. As this poll conducted by Iowa State University found this week, candidates are now seemingly investing big in the Hawkeye state, such as Vivek Ramaswamy, who's setting up a new base. Stayed last night in my new apartment in Iowa, where we've been for the last couple of weeks. DeSantis, Haley and Ramaswamy all campaigned in Iowa this week. Now, what's interesting to note here is that the organizers of Friday's event had to clarify this is not a debate, but a friendly discussion. This explanation came after the Republican National Committee sent out two separate letters reminding candidates that they're not allowed to participate in debates not organized by the RNC. And on a national level, a new poll shows President Biden trailing behind three Republicans. A new Marquette Law School poll found that Trump, Haley, and DeSantis would all win against Biden in a hypothetical 2024 matchup. The poll was conducted earlier this month, interviewing over 850 voters nationwide. Arian Pastar, NTD News. TikTok now says it will prohibit content that promotes Osama bin Laden's infamous Letter to America, which sought to justify the 9-11 terror attacks. This after renewed calls to ban the Chinese-owned social media platform for its frequent anti-American content. A former Trump administration official weighs in, telling us that wholesale change is needed to defeat the current wave of anti-U.S. propaganda. Kash Patel, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Hey, thanks for having me back on. Cash, we're seeing reports of Osama bin Laden's letter to America trending on TikTok. This is following the Israel-Hamas war. How did we even get to this point? 9-11 wasn't that long ago. It shows you how far we have fallen from the virtues that put Americans first and our values and our citizens first. I mean, we are literally watching TikTok, which I call 
the CCP's digital fentanyl, because that's what it is. It might not be killing our kids directly, but it's killing their brains, it's killing our education system, and it's killing our national security policy. We now have a generation of people on TikTok celebrating Osama bin Laden, a individual, a terrorist, who murdered 3,000 people in one day. That's just the one attack that he had on 9-11, not the countless others before and after 9-11. And so for our foreign policy to be dictated from the sewers of TikTok is where we are. And the Joe Biden administration has signed off on it and stamped it by inviting the CCP's dictator-in-chief to American shores and giving him a king's welcome. This is the current status. It's all interrelated, and it's going to be a fight to defeat it. And I don't stand with anyone who thinks that Osama bin Laden and his letter are acceptable discussion uh, for the advancement of the values of the Palestinian people. Those are two totally different things and have no nexus. I want to get to more on TikTok, but first, in terms of the Israel-Hamas war, there is, of course, the kinetic element that we're seeing unfolding in Gaza, but there is also the information or psychological warfare happening. How are we seeing that unfold? Well, that's mostly fought through propaganda schemes. And unfortunately, the CCP, the Iran, Iranian ayatollahs, the, the Quds Force, and the Russians are masters at the propaganda scheme. Why is that? Because the propaganda scheme doesn't cost a lot of money. The kinetic operations do. The movement of man, men and women in and out of war zones do. But these guys, our enemies, have figured out if we can scour the likes of the social media platforms, if we can hit the mainstream media in America, uh, because they know they know our mainstream will take the hook, line, and bait and put out these narratives about anti-Israeli um, information. Now, in terms of this Osama bin Laden trend on TikTok, the White House has come out against it, a spokesman saying there is never a justification for spreading the repugnant, evil and anti-Semitic lies that the leader of al-Qaeda issued after committing the worst terrorist attack in American history. So words are one thing, but what about actions the U.S. can take? Yeah, let's talk about actions. Remember, Joe Biden, as vice president, objected to the raid to kill Osama bin Laden. This is the current commander in chief. So when his White House puts out a statement, oh, and he, by the way, has failed to address it at all, um, shows you the impetus behind uh, any effectuation of that statement. I don't think we're going to see any real serious action taken from it except meaningless statements in the media. And then the mainstream media will cover up for them and find their next narrative um, to pontificate on it. And they'll just steamroll right past it because they know, once again, they got caught being evil. Because if you say Osama bin Laden is a good person or in any way justify his actions, you're evil. Speaking of media, a Pew Research Center notes that one-third of Americans under the age of 30 actually get their news from TikTok. That is a 255% increase since 2020. Now, that's been raising national security concerns due to TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, with ties to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, Trump tried to ban TikTok. This administration has been working on that, too. Why isn't TikTok banned? Well, we actually did, under the Trump administration, put the bans in place and allow for uh, the successive levels of government to come in and say, okay, yes or no. But at least President Trump came out and said, we're banning it. 
This administration, because they govern their national security apparatus under Joe Biden with the following, what did Donald Trump do? We're going to do the opposite. You would think this administration from a national security perspective, and as you just stated, it's being utilized to poison our youth um, in terms of education and news and just acquiring truthful media. You'd think they jump in because of their connection directly to the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, TikTok is an extension of social media for the Chinese Communist Party. We know that. It's not like we don't have other social media. And what are what's going to happen? Parents aren't going to be able to, to school their children because they said, oh, we have to take away your TikTok platforms. I mean, it's outrageous. We need a, we need a bigger cry to get rid of TikTok. And I think that's going to be Donald Trump's, one of Donald Trump's many first actions. On that last point, what is it going to take to actually get there? I think you just need a wholesale change in, in not just the administration, but you need a wholesale change in how people receive their news and what disinformation campaigns they are following need to be defeated. You know, everything is interrelated. All the stories you've talked about today, whether it's glorifying Osama bin Laden, whether it's talking about anti-Semitism in a favorable way, whether it's talking about TikTok and how our youth are acquiring the CCP's propaganda, just like the Iranians are pumping through us and uh, us inviting Xi Jinping over for a hero's welcome in America while we've got American hostages detained in war and our president goes 3,000 the other way to greet a dictator um, who's poisoning our children. You can't fix it with just, oh, we're just going to swap Biden out. You got to do a wholesale change. You got to destroy the deep state. And you have to defeat the mainstream media's disinformation campaigns. It's going to take a lot of work. That sounds like a lot there, Akash Patel. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. Have a great day. Coming up, the cost of illegal immigration hitting New York City hard. Mayor Eric Adams calls the budget cuts to police, education and more the most painful exercise of his professional life. Hip hop celebrity P. Diddy faces abuse and rape allegations. Find out what the rapper's former girlfriend says in a federal lawsuit. And the monumental antitrust case, United States versus Google, is coming to a close. How likely is it that the tech giant will be broken up? We ask an expert after the break. Welcome back. Sam Altman is out. In a surprise move, ChatGPT's parent company has fired its CEO. In a statement, the company says an internal probe found that Altman was, quote, not consistently candid with the board. Altman co-founded OpenAI, the parent company of ChatGPT, and has been the face of it. ChatGPT, a chatbot that uses artificial intelligence, went viral last year. It can generate human-like answers to questions, but it's also prone to mistakes and misinformation. OpenAI's chief technology officer will serve as an interim CEO. New York City is slashing school, police and library budgets to accommodate illegal immigrants. Mayor Eric Adams says that the city is forced to. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the move. Speaking at a town hall event, Adams said that over 140,000 illegal immigrants have come to the city so far and that New York is out of room. 
people say, well, Eric, why don't you close the door? Why don't you stop allowing people to come in? I can't. That's against the law. New York has been a sanctuary city since the 1980s. That's a city that limits or refuses to cooperate with the national government on immigration law enforcement. I believe New Yorkers believe in plain talk and honesty. We're in, we're, we're in some serious financial trouble right now. According to the mayor, the federal government should be picking up the multi-billion dollar tab from the illegal immigrant influx. Should not be coming out of the backs of everyday New Yorkers. That is wrong, and that is what is happening. The mayor says every agency in the city will be hit by the cuts. I got to be honest about that. I'm not going to give any false impressions. This is the most painful exercise I've ever done in my professional life. Officials estimate the budget cuts will take 4,000 police off the streets over the next two years, a move surely to anger residents like this woman, already feeling overwhelmed by crime. There is a huge problem with drug sales, drug trafficking, and shootings, especially in the evenings and on the weekends. There are mentally ill drug users that are surrounding these neighborhoods, menacing the people on the blocks outside and attempting to get into the apartment buildings. The New York Times reports that the education department budget will take a billion dollar hit over two years and two popular programs, universal pre-kindergarten and summer school will be hobbled. Libraries say they will have to shut down on Sundays due to the budget slashing. New York City Council Speaker Adrian Adams says the cuts are blunt and careless. She called out the administration for providing services for the illegal immigrants using expensive emergency contracts with for-profit companies. Mayor Adams says the immigrant crisis will cost about $11 billion over the next two years and that the 2024 budget already has a $7 billion hole in it. City officials say the cuts will go into effect immediately. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Rapper P. Diddy faces explosive allegations of abuse and rape in a federal lawsuit filed by his ex-girlfriend Cassie. Here's NTD's Stephanie Sakal with the details. Rapper and hip-hop icon Diddy, a.k.a. Sean Combs, is facing serious allegations of physical and sexual abuse, including sexual slavery and rape from his ex-girlfriend, R&B singer Cassandra Ventura, a.k.a. Cassie. The federal lawsuit accuses Combs of coercing Cassie into engaging in sexual acts with hired male prostitutes while he recorded them. Cassie also claims a decade-long pattern of physical abuse, asserting that Combs controlled her through intimidation and substance abuse. The legal dispute escalated when Cassie accused Combs of rape after she tried to end the relationship in 2018. In response, Combs denied the allegations with his attorney accusing Cassie of attempting to extort $30 million by threatening to reveal damaging details in a book. This controversy adds Combs to the list of high-profile figures in the music industry, including Steven Tyler, L.A. Reid, and Neil Portnow, who have faced accusations of sexual misconduct. Stephanie Sikal, NTD News, California. The United States versus Google. The once-in-a-lifetime antitrust case is almost at an end. Could Google be broken up? Entities Jack Bradley searches for an answer.
The United States versus Google antitrust lawsuit is nearing an end. The evidentiary phase is over, and Judge Amit Mehta has scheduled closing arguments for next May. The landmark case could potentially break Google up into multiple smaller companies like AT&T in the 1980s. This is a generational case, probably the biggest case since the Microsoft case years ago. Dominic Romano is the founder of Romano Law. He says that any outcome is possible. Even Judge Mehta said, quote, I have no idea what I'm going to do. The U.S. government says Google has a monopoly over search and search advertising. It says Google paid $26 billion in 2021 just to be the default search engine on different platforms. Google made over $200 billion from search ads in 2022. Once people use Google Search, they generally stay with Google Search. There is no significant competition. Google, therefore, has massive amounts of data on users. Competitors don't have that, making it impossible for them to compete. Google says it dominates 90% of the search market because it makes a better product. People have the freedom to switch, but they don't. Google also says it has to compete with Microsoft. Google will probably end up with some consent, some agreement to open up a little bit, but all of this could be moot. I mean, Microsoft's deal with OpenAI um, could make much of this browser dominance irrelevant in the future if AI and the next generation of search leaves Google in the dust, just as Google left AltaVista and Yahoo Search and other search engines in the dust. Romano thinks it's possible that Google may be broken up, but believes it's unlikely. Artificial intelligence is changing the tech landscape quickly, and Google may not even be on top in the future. Judge Amit Mehta has not announced when he will issue his ruling. It's expected to come sometime next year. Jack Bradley, NTD News. Coming up, serious calls to action for pro-Palestinian activists in New York. A counterterrorism analyst tells us what the danger is and why Iran isn't taking the U.S. seriously after the break. Welcome back. If you're just joining us now, here are some of today's top headlines. Israel has agreed to allow two tanker trucks carrying 15,000 gallons of fuel to enter Gaza each day. The Gaza Strip has been cut off from the outside world with no power or telecommunications operations. A pro-Palestine protester is now charged with two felonies over striking a Jewish protester who died. The California man is accused of involuntary manslaughter and causing serious injury. On Capitol Hill, the House Ethics Committee chairman introduced a resolution to expel GOP Congressman George Santos from Congress. And House Speaker Mike Johnson made public all footage of the January 6th Capitol breach. OpenAI, the company behind viral ChatGPT chatbot, fired its CEO and founder Sam Altman. The company said an internal investigation found that Altman was not always truthful with the board. A counterterrorism analyst tells us that Iran isn't taking the U.S. seriously. What can be done about it? And how serious are the threats from pro-Palestine activists in the U.S.? Take a look at our conversation with Kyle Scheidler. Kyle Scheidler, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
to begin as the Israel war Hamas war continues a pro-Palestinian group has actually shared a map of New York City this is targeting Jews it's showing newsrooms businesses and buildings calling for quote direct action how serious of a threat is this well I think we should take it fairly seriously we do have to recognize of course that when groups like this use the phrase direct action they can mean a lot of different things they can mean protests, they can mean civil disobedience, they can also mean acts of sabotage or even criminal violence. Uh, that, that umbrella term of direct action is used in, in a myriad of different ways. So we, we have to be cautious from that from a security perspective. It could mean a lot of different things. But what it does mean is that they have been tracking these locations, they've identified these locations, they want to put political pressure and intimidation on the people who live there or the people who work there in order to achieve their political goals. And so when you have intimidation to achieve political goals, you are very close to, uh, to what we define as terrorism. If they commit a violent criminal act uh, of, of a defined type uh, at those locations uh, or attempt to do so, that would fall under that, uh, that perspective. And now some countries like India have directly banned pro-Palestinian protests. How likely would we be to see that same action here in the States given the First Amendment rights? Well, I am a strong uh, defender of the First Amendment. I think it's very important that the United States uphold uh, its uh, First Amendment. But I will say that you can engage, you, you, can, you can say what you wish to say, you can support who you wish to support verbally, uh, but you cannot engage in material support for a terrorist organization. And that does include certain uh, types of activity defined as advocacy or propaganda. So uh, it may be the case that you can go out in public and say that you support Hamas, uh, but what you cannot do is necessarily organize activities on behalf of Hamas, Hamas recruit for Hamas, um, engage in propaganda on behalf of Hamas, uh, engage in contacts with Hamas officials um, necessarily without uh, incurring some kind of legal uh, legal impact. We have seen some evidence that, uh, for example, the Attorney General of Virginia is going to look at some uh, American-based charities that are engaging in some of these activities that may have uh, ties to Hamas that would cross that line into material support. I would like to see more Attorney Generals across the state uh, do the same. And of course, I would love to see the federal government do the same, uh, although I don't really expect that from, from the Biden administration. And now there's growing calls, especially from the intel community, of Iran's role and backing in this war. Now, some are calling this a proxy war. How do you read this? Is this going to escalate beyond just Israel and Hamas? Well, I think from the Israeli perspective, they absolutely view it as a fight with Iran. It's a fight with Iran through proxies, but it is a fight with Iran. And if Iran is not deterred by Israel in the outcome of this fighting, uh, that is to say, if Iran does not learn a lesson from this fight, uh, Israel will, will, will eventually face something similar in the future. So that may mean that Israel may have to uh, move against uh, Iranian proxies in, uh, in Lebanon. They may have to strike Iranian proxies in Syria in order to send the message to Iran uh, that they, uh, Israel, are a powerful force in the region, that they and not Iran will determine Israel's future. Uh, they can do that, it, they, but they have to do that and they have to make that message really clear.
On that note, there are Biden administration officials already noting that both China and Iran are attacking individuals on U.S. soil. This is including even assassination attempts. Where do you see this going and what would it take to actually stop that? Well, we know that the Iranians have attempted to assassinate both U.S. officials and foreign government officials on U.S. soil in the past, um, including, for example, an attempt to assassinate the Saudi ambassador a few years back on U.S. soil. Um, So the fact that Iran is willing to do that is an indicator that they are very confident in themselves and they are very confident that the Americans are not going to retaliate in any kind of a serious way. And frankly, although the U.S. has launched some missiles, we have conducted some attacks uh, against Iranian proxies. In my view, they were not viewed as very serious by the Iranians. The fact that we just released another $10 billion to Iran uh, suggests to the Iranians that the U.S. is not serious uh, in its response uh, to these attacks. And so they will continue to push. And they will continue to push until ultimately uh, they foment or they instigate uh, something like what happened in o- October 7th in Israel, by which I mean uh, they will instigate something which the U.S. cannot ignore and must respond um, with severe sanction. Um, and, then, and then it will escalate. So if we do not check them now, people are concerned that if we act now, uh, we may escalate the fighting. But I think that's the wrong way to look at it. The reality is if we do not act strong now, then Iran will escalate until they do something that we really absolutely have to respond to. And I don't think that's necessarily what we want. Quite concerning indeed, Kyle Scheidler. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Turning now to a developing story, a shooting at a New Hampshire psychiatric hospital. The suspect is dead and one person was shot in the lobby of the facility. State authorities say the shooting was contained and all patients are safe. We'll keep you updated on this story as more details emerge. Coming up in the NFL, Joe Burrow is out for the season after leaving last night's game with an injury. What is the league what, what is the league investigating and what is his team planning now? Dave Martin joins us in the studio after the break. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, let's start with the NFL and what happened last night. Now, Cincinnati quarterback Joe Burrow left the game with an injury. Why is the league investigating their handling of it? Yeah, there's a question of whether he was injured before. They already knew about it and didn't list him on their injury report. Now, reportedly, there was a video circulating on X that showed Burrow Wednesday before the game with what looked like a soft cast on his hand. That video has since been deleted. Now, why this is a big deal to the NFL is for the fan interest that's involved. And when I say fan interest, I mean like sports gamblers, fantasy football league owners who depend on this kind of information. Now, the NFL doesn't directly benefit financially from them, but it definitely drives up interest in their games. Now, the league, I think they'll be sticklers about this. Usually, they'll they'll either find them. They can't even dock the team a draft pick for not putting this on their injury report. And it was actually announced this afternoon that Burrow will miss the rest of the season with his injury. What do you think this means for Cincinnati? Well, their Super Bowl odds went from 12 to 1 yesterday to 150 to 1 today. So it's no stretch to say that they're certainly worse off without him. I mean, he's the highest paid player in the game for good reason. 
You know, he was injured through most of training camp with a calf injury. He started the season less than 100%. They lost three of their first four games without him. Then he got healthy. They won four games in a row. Their, defense, their, their offense looked great. Unfortunately, the trade deadline has already passed. All they can upgrade through is through free agency. And, you know, unless Tom Brady decides to unretire, I'm afraid it's going to be a downgrade. <laughs> you never know there, but looking at the college game, some have referred to this as the Cupcake Week in the SEC. <laughs> Why is that? You know, the mighty SEC, I believe they have seven teams that are playing, you know, what we call less than difficult non-conference opponents this week. Um, I think Alabama is like 40-point favorites over Chattanooga. Now, every team does this, but they normally do this at the beginning of the season. That way, you see what your weaknesses are with, you know, a margin for error. That said, there's still some good games this week. Number one, Georgia is at Tennessee. Number five, Washington. They are at Oregon State. And in the Big 12, number seven, Texas. They're at Iowa State. I think they could have some trouble. Iowa State has that tough 3-3-5 defense. Meanwhile, for Texas, they already have a loss. They cannot afford a second loss if they're going to stay in the playoff race. Lots at stake there, Dave, as always. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tiff. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Good night.